You cannot afford to have a thought in your head about you that God doesn't have in his head about you. You cannot afford to have a thought in your head about yourself that God doesn't already have in his head about you. The Bible tells us in Psalm 139 that God's thoughts about us are as numerous as the grains of sand on the planet. That's all the beaches, all the sandboxes, all the golf traps, all the kitty litter places. It's every grain of sand on the planet is how many thoughts God has about you personally. And this weekend, we're going to explore what are those thoughts that God has. What does God think about when he thinks about you? Whose birthday is Christmas Day, December 25th? Whose birthday is Christmas? Besides, okay, I'm not saying Jesus. I'm saying, <laughs> good, good Bible trivia. Who in this room was born on Christmas Day? On Christmas Day, where are you? Christmas Day. Do I see you? Raise up your hand, not Jesus, you. You're born on Christmas Day? All right. Now, the Bible lets us know, the Bible lets us know that God created us, that God invited us, that God draws us in, and he speaks to us about who we are. He tells us of how much value we have to him. He determines our worth. And he says that you are worth the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He says that you, not you all, like the southerners would say, not y'all, but you personally are worth the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And because of that, he, he set your worth. He determined your value. He determined it. Not you determined it. Not your friends determined it. Not your acceptance or rejection at school or on a team or with your peers. God set your value and God determined it. He decided how much you're worth. Anybody see what I have in my hand? So some people would say that this is worth something. This has some value, right? But what if I, it's nice, right? It's crisp. It looks legit. You guys see the security strip? We didn't photocopy this, okay? This is real. So, but what if I took the, how, how many of you want this? Just out of curiosity, would be like, yes, $100 cash in my pocket. All my interns are raising their hand. Please, Pastor JL, give me some food. Okay, so, all right. Now, what if I say, okay, you want this, but what if I, what if I crinkle it up and like wad it up? D do you want it? You still, are you sure? Still want it? I mean, I crinkled it. Is it still worth something to you? Now, what if I, what if I threw it on the dirty ground? Want it? Still want it? But what if I, I mean, this floor, this only gets mopped like once a week. We were just dancing. People were sweating. I mean, it's dirty. And what if I grind it into the ground just a little bit, rub it all around, you know, 
Now, you still want it? Are you sure? Because certainly it cannot be worth as much as it was two minutes ago because of what it's been through, because of what I've done to it. It must be losing value. It must be, it must be losing value because I, I, I'm treating it poorly. No? But what if, I mean, what if we get serious? What if I just spin on it? I'm gonna. Big old, nasty, 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 loogie right on it. Still want it? I'm rubbing it in. You can't just wipe it off easy. I mean, okay, it's all nasty rubbed in now. You still want it? A couple high school girls are like, I don't know. Okay, big old growth. Okay, how many of you are still interested in this $100 bill? Okay, what if I blew my nose on it? Yeah, no, yeah. What, okay, by show of you know, response, what if I, would you still want it? I mean, is there anything I could do? Rip it, maybe rip it. Now my nose is actually running. This is coming in handy now. Okay, is there anything I can do to this $100 bill that would make you say, eh, it's not worth it? Why? Because what I did to it does not determine its value. What has happened to it does not set its worth. Its worth was pre determined a long time before this night and so was yours God your creator said I made you I purposed you I declare your value on the day of your birth I decided what you were worth and just because just because just because just because somebody didn't recognize your value. Somebody spit on you, somebody stepped on you, someone made you feel lesser than your creator intended does not mean that they are right. It means something's wrong with them, not something's wrong with you. God created you and you cannot afford to have a thought in your head about yourself that God doesn't have in his head about you. And so you gotta know what is it that the creator of this universe thinks about me? Who does he say that I am? What does he say that you're worth? Because nothing that happens to you on this planet is gonna change your value. You are worth the precious precious blood of Jesus Christ. Now the yucky part, just take it in there after service and wash it with some soap and water. It'll be good as new. About as dirty as every other $100 bill in circulation. Now, pays to be at opening night of O2, right? Now, here's, here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to know. Luke chapter 18, it says this. It says, once a religious leader asked Jesus this question. Good teacher what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. 
Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you must know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. Then the man replied, I have obeyed all of these commandments since I was young. Church kid. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still something, one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all of your possessions and give the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. So this guy, we don't know his name, he's just called Rich Young Ruler. He's a church kid. He's never named in the entire body. He's just a regular young person and he asks Jesus a question. And here's the tone of that question. First you read it, you sound, it could sound kind of good, like Lord, he doesn't even say Lord, does he? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Ding, little halo, right? But in reality, this is what he's really saying. He's saying, what's the minimum, man? What, what do I gotta do to inherit eternal life? What, what do I gotta do to make sure I get into heaven? H how, do I, how do I make sure I'm saved? He doesn't realize he's not asking the right question. Because the goal of our lives as followers of Jesus is not what's the minimum I can do. The goal of our life isn't what's the bare, how can I skate under the pearly gates by the skin of my teeth? How, how, what's the least I can do to get in to heaven? But that's what this guy is saying. He's saying, how far can I go to live for myself but still make sure I'm going to the good place? What's the least I can do? How, how, bottom line me, Jesus. I mean, bottom line me, good teacher, bottom line me. What is the minimum that I can do so I know I'm okay with you, good teacher, but I don't have to put myself out of my comfort zone? What, what's the least I can do to make sure I'm not gonna burn for all eternity in junk, but I don't wanna overcommit? I don't wanna be one of those guys that's over the top going all, just, just bottom line me, Jesus. How, 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 how far can I go in living for myself and still inherit eternal life? What, what can I do to make sure I'm getting as much freedom to sin and do my own thing but not end up in hell? And friends, there's a whole generation of Christians living the same way. One foot in the Jesus store, one foot out. One parts way committed to Christ, part way committed to their own comfort in the moment. There's a whole generation of Jesus somewhat curious, a little bit interested, certainly not wanting to go to hell, but not wanting to overcommit really either. Just trying to skate by, bottom line me Jesus, what do I got to do? What do I got to do to inherit eternal life? Do I really got to read my Bible? I mean, do, what, what, what do I, bottom line me, what do I got to do? Jesus has a lot of fans, but very few real, true followers. 
And there's a difference. This guy, rich young ruler, unnamed guy, rich young ruler, young person, grew up in church, knew the right answers, sounded like he was asking a good question. He's a fair weather fan. And he's missing it. And this whole generation of Christians that's, that's kind of patterning themselves after the rich young ruler, they're missing it too because I'll tell you this. I mean, I'm going to heaven. I know for sure. I think a lot of you know and have a confidence that you're going to heaven, and that's huge. That's a life-changing moment. In fact, that's the theme verse of 4640, that you might know that you have eternal life by looking to the Father, right? That's the goal of this whole place. We want you to know, but guess what? I don't really think about heaven that much. That's not the reason I'm serving Jesus. That's my end destination someday, and that's great. And, and sometimes I imagine it, and sometimes I study it, and I read some stuff about it, and I'm like, sweet, it's going to be good. I'm, I'm glad. But I'm serving Jesus because of the grand adventure I'm experiencing right now. And this rich young ruler, he's missing all of that. His goal is bottom line me, what do I got to do to receive eternal life? Not Jesus, how can I be close? How can I be intimate with you? How can, I, how can I hear your voice? How can I know that you're speaking in my heart? How can I stand up with boldness and, and, and with courage? And, and how can I? No, no, no. Just what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? We don't want to be on that side of that verse because the truth is it's not about heaven. Yeah, where it's our destination someday, but it's about the grand adventure now too. And God is so much better than you think he is. Verse 18 in Luke, it says, this young man, okay, what does he call Jesus? Luke 18, he calls Jesus what? Good teacher. Now someone came up to me and asked me a question and they're like, Pastor Jail, Pastor Jail, Pastor Jail. Good teacher. What do I gotta do to get myself one of those 4640 hats? I would be like, I feel good about myself. I'd be like, yeah, thank you for that compliment. You're calling me good teacher. That's because that's what I am. I am a teacher. I hope I'm good, but I'm at least a teacher, right? And so, but Jesus, when, when the guy like asks him the question and throws out the title, good teacher, it kind of seems like it irked him a little bit, like it rubbed him the wrong way. Because what you'll find over and over in the gospel is people aren't calling him good teacher. People are calling him Lord. People are calling him master. You see, and so this rich young ruler, he, he's not ready to say that Jesus is anything special in particular. It's just, good teacher, what's the minimum I got to do to not burn in hell and junk? That's his MO. But what Jesus is, so, so he throws that out. He's a like, good teacher. And he asks this fancy religious question, and Jesus is unimpressed. He's unimpressed. And you can tell by his answer because he kind of like retorts back really quick. It's like it's a slap in the face to him, like a demotion to him. And so Jesus challenges the rich young ruler, and he's like, wait a second, wait a second. If I'm good, and this good in this verse means morally perfect and without any flaw. If I'm good, then I'm not just good, I'm God. Just BT dubs. Just so you know, if I'm good, I'm not just a teacher, I have to be God. So you can't have it both ways. You can't just be like, oh, good teacher, without allowing for my lordship and my rulership and my mastership in your life. And so Jesus kind of calls this guy out on it. He's like, hey, hey, don't just be throwing that around, that little demotion around like, oh, good teacher. You're brown-nosing me, man, but your heart, heart's not in it. 
And so here's what we learn in this. This young man, this young person had no idea who Jesus really was. No idea. If he knew who Jesus was, he would have called it out and said, Master, Lord, creator of the universe, fell on his knees. I mean, like he would have showed surrender to the authority of who God was, but he doesn't do that. He asks his question. He had no idea who Jesus was. I'll tell you this. If you do not know who Jesus is, you probably have no idea who you are either. If you don't know who Jesus is, then you have no idea who you really are. Because who you are is set in context by who Jesus is. Because who you are is giving its meaning and its purpose by who Jesus is. Because who you are is his. And if you don't know who Jesus is, then you have no idea who you are really. So I got this guitar out here. If you know me, you know this is not my guitar. I borrowed it actually from a very rich friend, very wealthy person, gave me this guitar. Now if you see this guitar, I don't, I don't know if you guys know a lot about how much stuff costs, but this guitar's got some nice inlays. It's got some you know, fancy stuff around in here. But you go to the store and you try to buy this guitar, it will, it will be valuable, it will cost some money, right? You're not gonna get it for five bucks. It's obviously a nice guitar. It's gonna cost off the shelf, it's gonna cost, I wrote it down, $1,089.99. That's the value of the guitar. But what if I told you that this guitar because I told you already, I borrowed it from a rich guy who knows a rich guy. And it actually is Ed Sheeran's guitar that he took on tour last year. So security, keep, keep an eye on it now that everyone knows, right? What, what just happened there? Well, now we all know it's not worth $1,089.99, right? We all realize that because this guitar belongs to someone the value of this guitar, right? Right? This guitar is now like crazy pricey. You're not even allowed to touch it, this thing is, in fact, it'd probably be best if security just remove it at this point. Because this guitar is so valuable, it, I would have to like sell the student center to re replace it or something, but it's valuable because of what? whose it is, whose it is. And you are valuable because of whose you are, right? You are worth more because you belong to him. Verse 22, Jesus, Jesus makes this young man an offer. He says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. I just want a little aside. He doesn't say, sell everything you have and give it to me. Jesus and the church are not after your money, okay? He says, sell it all. Give it to the poor. I don't, I don't need your money. Give it to the poor. And then come follow me. Now, the idea here in verse 22 isn't that followers of Jesus can't own stuff. 
It's not like we all have to become homeless, nomadic people in robes, just running through the desert following Jesus on this dusty trail. No, no, no. Jesus was calling out something very specific in this young man. He was calling out something that was flawed in this young man, in his blind spot, something about him that he didn't know about himself. Wait, went right for the heart of the matter. Right for the heart of the matter. He was calling out his idol. The guy didn't know it. It's not a declare of like, everyone who wants to follow Jesus, be poor and homeless and wander. It, it was a specific thing of, this is the one thing you lack. You don't know it. This is the one thing that you're missing. You have an idol, and it's your money. It's your belongings. So just, just get rid of them now. Sell them now. And come follow me. If this conversation had been between you and Jesus, what would Jesus call out in your life? What would he expose in that conversation as the one thing the one thing in your heart that you give the most time, the most attention, the most affection towards. Maybe Jesus would say to you, go and cut ties with those particular friends and come follow me. Or maybe Jesus would say, go and sell the truck. It's not worth it. It's breaking down. It's taking off. Go and sell the truck and come follow me. Maybe Jesus is saying, break up with that girl and come follow me. Maybe Jesus is saying, go and sell the game console. Sell it. Sell it. Get rid of it. Get it out of your house. Sell it. Get it gone. Is Jesus against video games, against trucks, against? No. He's against idols. And so if that conversation was between you and Jesus, your job is to figure out what is the idol that Jesus would say. When he points at me, what would Jesus say? Maybe be, go quit the team and come follow me. Maybe it would be cancel the Netflix subscription and stop binge watching for the love of all that is sacred and come follow me. Maybe he'd say step down, step down from the team, step down from the bands and come follow me. Can you be in band? Can you be on the team? Yes, but not if it's the idol. Maybe he'd say drop the Tuesday night class and come follow me or say I can't be the team captain or I can't be the manager in this season because it's getting in the way of me following Jesus. But if Jesus and you were having the conversation, Jesus would say go and lessen the commitment and the loyalty you have to something else that's blocking me and come follow me. And when Jesus calls out your idol, it's like, it's painful. It's personal. It's like, gets in your business. And when you hear it, you're just like, Egh. it's like nails on chalkboard. You do, your first response, the human response at first is, not that, anything. And if you feel that fight inside you, guess what? You figured out your idol. Congratulations. That's the thing he's after. It's painful, but only you can decide. Only you can decide what to do about the idol in your life. I can't make you. All my beautiful, elaborate preaching is not going to motivate you to do it. You have to decide in the depths of your heart. And maybe for you, that idol is image, popularity, reputation. Sell it. Sell it. Come follow me. 
Here's why. What's an idol? Something we bow down to. Something we worship, right? And when we worship something that is worthless, we become worthless. Let me say that again. When we worship something that is worthless, we become worthless. When we worship something, that, worship something that's not of very much worth, it's not valuable, then we become of less value ourselves because when we worship, we lower ourselves beneath that which we worship. And if we're lowering ourselves beneath the soccer ball that costs $29.99, we just took ourselves that's worth the eternal blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and we said, instead of being worth that, I'm worth less than my soccer ball at 29 because I bend my knee, I lower myself. When we worship something worthless, we become worth less. Jeremiah 22, 5 says, this is what the Lord says. It's not just jail. This is what the Lord says. What did your ancestors find wrong with me? He's lamenting. What did they find wrong with me that led them so far astray from me? They worshiped worthless idols only to become worth less themselves. When we worship an idol, we lower ourselves. This term worthless in the original languages is talking about vanity, utterly meaningless, completely insignificant. When we worship something that is utterly meaningless, we start to be filled with an overwhelming feeling of, am I worth anything? Now, the people of God left God not because they had discovered something better, not because they had discovered someone more worthy. They discovered someone or something, a statue of stone worth less. It would be like a husband who has a smoking hot wife. Not only that, she is hilarious. She is funny. She is kind, not a snotty, rich, cute girl, a kind and good. And this husband is married to her and he goes, you know what, instead of my beautiful, smoking hot, super kind, funny bride, I'm gonna go get it on with a skanky woman who's witchy with STDs. Right? What, did, what would he have done? He took himself and he lowered himself. Right? And that's what God says his people have done. We have left God, many of us, for something worth less than God. And as a result, we begin to feel worthless. Now, I've been a youth pastor at Fellowship Church. I believe this week actually, this week actually completes my 19th year of serving here. And I'm seeing something in the valley that I have never seen in 19 years. I've seen a generation that feels worthless. Right, would you say? There are so, what is wrong with this generation that has made 
us as a people group feel so worthless? Why do we feel so void of value and without purpose? Why are people in this generation so overcome with a sense of blah, meaninglessness? Why is this generation in this valley feel depressed and without hope? What is wrong that people are self-harming at alarming rates? What is wrong that people are, are contemplating suicide like I have never seen in 19 years? I'll tell you, we feel worthless because we have abandoned our worship of the one true God and instead are lowering ourselves to the worship of something that is worthless and we're left with a haunting sense that maybe we're not worth anything anymore. And guys, this has to stop. It's not like I'm proud of Safe to Tell. We announce it. We love it. We encourage you to download the app and use it. We want you to seek help if you are depressed or suicidal or self-harming. We, we beg you. We at 4640, the pastors in the Orange we are here for you. But I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this with all my heart. The problem isn't all those other things. The problem is we are worth the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We are of intimate and infinite value. And as, and as a generation, we have said, instead of standing up under that value as a son or a daughter of the living God of the universe, we have said, no, 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 no. I'm going to put aside that smoking hot. I'm going to go skank. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go scum it. I'm gonna lower myself to the level of worship of a sports ball. I'm gonna lower myself to the level of other people's opinion and the like button on Instagram. That's how much I'm worth. I'm worth how many likes I got, how many hearts I got on my Insta page today. And if you don't say I'm pretty, then I might cut myself, okay? And I'm not making light of it. I'm saying you have to lift up your eyes and begin to worship. Worship the one who imparts your true value, your true worth. Because all of these other people, they don't know. They don't know what you're worth. They don't know what your value is because they didn't make you. We become what we worship. We become as valuable as what we worship. We take on the characteristics of what we worship. Psalm 115 explains that when we worship, like people in the ancient days, they would make statues, right? Stone looking guys sometimes with no hands, it was weird. But, but they were wooden or metal or stone. They couldn't talk, they couldn't see, they couldn't hear. And so Psalm 115 lets us know that, that the people who worship these, that bowed before these, in and of themselves became spiritually blind, spiritually deaf, spiritually mute. They became what they worshiped. If we worship supermodels, we become vain and self-centered. If we worship football players, not play football, but worship football players, we become aggressive, 
crass violence and woman demeaning. If we worship actors and singers, we become foul-mouthed, immoral, and sad. You see it? We worship money, we become greedy and oppressive and materialistic. If we worship grades and academics, we become arrogant, proud, condescending, and conceited. If we worship social media on that stupid like button, we become insecure, selfish, depressed, and empty. If we worship ourselves, we become sad and lonely and bored and entitled. We're just like the people of old. We become what we worship. No wonder our generation suddenly feels so much of less value than we should because we're scumming it. We're scumming it with something worth less than the position our God is trying to give us. And if we could realize the value so when our worship team comes up on the stage and they, and they begin to lead us in worship, what they're trying to do or what they are doing is they're, they're inviting us to worship with them so that our eyes aren't on Instagram likes and sports balls and looking hot and all that, but our eyes become on our creator. Because if we'll look upon him, we'll become like him. We'll become powerful like him, we'll become worthy like him, we'll become capable like him, we'll be filled with his presence and his power in our lives and the more time we spend in his presence, the more we learn about who he is, the more we learn about who we are and who we are is his. And our daddy God has kids that look like him and act like him and walk like him and heal like him and preach like him and perform miracles like him. But when we're down here worshiping worthlessness, instead we feel worthless instead of this. Why do we sing songs every time? Every time we come, we sing so many songs. I get so tired, I have to put my hands on the stage to support me and hold me up, because I'm so tired. Because when we worship him, when we work at you, Joe, when we worship him and we lift our eyes up to him, we become full of power and purpose and intimate connection. We become full of life and hope and truth and vision and purpose and direction. And young people, that is what our generation needs more than anything is for somebody to walk into their school, to walk into their dance class, to walk onto their sports field with purpose and power and connection to God to speak life and hope and joy. So Jesus is not trying to take away something of great value from this young person, this rich young ruler in Luke 18. He's not saying, give me your most valuable thing and that'll buy your way in. I don't know. He's trying to take the very thing that's blocking this young man from accessing everything he ever needed. Here's what I mean. 
We don't know the name. We don't even know the name of the rich young ruler. Only that he was rich. Only that he was trying to skate by and do the minimum to get into heaven. Only that he kind of teed off Jesus a little bit by calling him good teacher. We don't know what else he did with his life. It said he left, left very sad because he was rich. He left. What'd he do? Go back to his mansion, kick it with some servants, order some lemonade, get some girl to fan him with a leaf. I mean, what did he do? Did he just get richer and richer and buy more stuff? Buy more chariots and more fanner girls? I, I mean, what did he do? Rich young ruler grew old with his stuff and died. And we don't even know his name. No epic story. Just another dead, boring, rich guy. But what Jesus was offering this young person was the epic adventure of a lifetime. The same generic offer that Jesus threw down to this rich young ruler was get this idol out of the way and come follow me. He said the same thing, the same thing to Peter, James, John, Andrew, Simon, and Philip. And guess what? They dropped their nets, man, and they followed Jesus. He didn't tell him, he didn't tell him, he didn't tell him. Oh, if you, okay, now here's the deal. If you drop your nets, here's the list of benefits you're going to personally receive. You will personally receive enough fish and bread for your lifetime, and you'll get some coins, and you, he didn't, he didn't say, this is what will happen. He just said, drop your idol and get your booty over here and come follow me. And he gives that same offer to each of us, and we have a decision to make. Are we going to grow old hugging our money or our idol? Or are we going to drop it and go on the epic adventure of a lifetime? Because I don't know, I don't know how much you read your Bible, but these same guys, Peter, James, John, Andrew, they changed the course of history. They didn't even have any money. They were poor. They weren't rich. They had nothing. But they dropped their idol and they followed Jesus. And guess what? They walked with Jesus and they saw Jesus like heal a blind man. Like, did you see that, John? I mean, he like, he like spit on some dirt and rubbed it in that dude's eyes and now he can, did you see that? Did you, did you, dude, when you were sleeping in the boat last night, it was like storming, do you remember that? And, and then Jesus was like walking on the water. Did you see that? I mean, do you think if Jesus would have told the rich young ruler, hey, bud, if you do that, these are the benefits. You're going to see me walk on water. You're going to see me heal people. You're going to see me multiply the fish and loaves. And you're going to see me do all this cool stuff. People get raised from the dead. It'll be awesome. Come follow me. But he doesn't. He just says, eh, get rid of the idol and come follow me. And, the, and, and, and some people did it. And some people did not. And as Peter's life unfolded, guess what God did in his life? Peter watched it, and then Peter did it. Peter watched Jesus heal people. And it's said in the book of Acts that after Jesus died on the cross and rose again, ascended into heaven, that when Peter would walk through the market, his shadow would touch sick people. Just touch his shadow. He didn't even, he didn't even touch them himself. Just his shadow would cross over a sick person, and they'd be healed of their disease because he hung out with Jesus he threw down his idol Peter was arrested 
but he thought big deal because his God just sent an angel and the angel just opened the prison and Peter just like walked out in the middle of the day and no one caught him because it's no big deal because he's with Jesus. Peter raised a woman from the dead, y'all. Just a guy that said, I don't need my nets. Come follow Jesus. John prayed over a crippled guy whose legs were all twisted up, never walked in his life, and just watched right before his eyes. Those legs go straighten out. Perfect. God jumped up, leapt, praising, dancing, celebrating God. He never walked. James, come follow me. Leave your nets. James left his nets. James became the leader of the church after Jesus' resurrection. He set the course of early Christian doctrine, wrote part of the Bible. Philip was teleported. Okay, just pause a second. He was in one place, and then he disappeared and appeared in another place. Now, if Jesus said, hey, rich young ruler, dude, I know you got a lot of money, but if you just go and sell your possessions and come follow me, I'm going to teleport you. He might have been like, okay, cool. That's cool. That sounds good. That's a good, that's a good gig, but that's not how Jesus rolls. Jesus doesn't want you to follow him because you're going to benefit. He wants you to follow him because you're going to go on the adventure of a lifetime. He doesn't want you to follow him because you're going to get into heaven. He wants you to follow him because he wants that intimate community with you. And together, these men and some others wrote the best-selling book of all time. Now, I don't know if you know this, but New York has a best-selling book list. And every year, they like list all the books that are the best-selling. And you're supposed to like read the business ones so you get smarter and make more money and junk. Okay, like a hundred years ago, they just said, you know what? The Bible keeps winning. It is permanently always won. And so we're just going to go ahead and, and everyone assume that the Bible is the best-selling book on the planet because it is. By so much, we can't list it on the list anymore. And these dudes with their nets getting dropped on a beach somewhere, they wrote this thing, uneducated. And they wrote the best-selling book of all time. And then there's the rich young ruler, and he just like grew old with his junk. I wonder if he ever thought, you know, by sitting by the poolside with that girl fanning him, drinking his lemonade with the little umbrella. I wonder if he ever thought about the stories he was hearing about Jesus of Nazareth. I wonder if he heard the stories about how the guys that were following Jesus were now like on these grand epic adventures and walking on water and raising people from the dead. And I wonder if he ever said, I blew it. When I was a young person, I missed it because I said yes to my idol. And in saying yes to my idol, by default, I didn't realize it, but by saying yes to my idol, I was saying no to the best adventure of a lifetime. I, had, the guy had, I wonder if he ever thought I had no idea what I was saying no to when I said yes to my money to my belongings. And guys, I wonder, what's the idol? What's the thing that you're saying yes to that's causing you by default, like the rich young ruler, to be saying no 
to the fullness of Jesus. That's causing you to live like the rich young ruler would say, I'm just, I'm saying yes to, to sports ball so much that I'm just, I'm just bare minimum my relationship with Jesus. I'm going to slide under that gate. I'll probably make it to heaven. Good for you. But you're missing the grand adventure, the epic life story, life battle. The reason for your life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Jesus said, only a foolish man starts building something like a building or a house and then goes and figures out how much it costs. He said, no, 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 no. If you're going to build something, you got to stop first and think, how much does it cost and do I have enough money? So before you answer this question, I want you to think about how much your yes to Jesus and your no to your idol is going to cost you. I want you to think about it. Because I don't want you to just decide like, oh yeah, it's O2. It feels so good in this room and I'm sweaty, a little sweaty from before and I'm just going to run down and say yes to Jesus. No, I want you to think about what it costs to say yes to Jesus. I want you to think about what it costs to say yes to Jesus. What does it cost? For the rich young ruler, it was gonna cost his wealth. For you, it costs whatever is that idol in your life and hearts. And only you know. I want you to think about it. Camps and retreats like this are always emotional at some level. You can't change that. But you need to count the cost of being a follower of Jesus. Salvation is free. Anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved. Anybody who says, Jesus, I am a sinner. I have failed. I have done wrong and I feel like crap about it and I'm sorry please forgive me come into my heart come into my life that is a free gift you cannot win it you cannot earn it you cannot buy it salvation is free but the epic adventure that ensues may just cost everything else we have to think about that so for those of you in this room who would say, I've counted the cost. I know what my idol is. And I want to throw it aside and come follow Jesus. And for you, I want you to stand to your feet Find some space in the front and have the conversation about the idol. On the count of three, if that's you, one, two, three. I want you to imagine, this is a perfect time to completely ignore your friends. 
And I want you to imagine that you're standing face to face with Jesus. He's right there. You're in a dusty road, maybe. Scruffy beard. And you're staring into his eyes. You're in the position of the rich, young ruler. And he's looking at you. And he says, go and blink. What's he saying? Go and quit the team. Go and tell your coach you can't manage. Go and, what's the idol? Sell the game console. Go and reject social media for a while till you get stuff straight. Go and imagine that you're looking Jesus right in the eyes. And he's talking to you, just like he talked to the rich young rulers, asking for you to go and blank. He's calling out your idol. He's calling out your idol. Once you hear him say, you know what he's saying is the idol. Tell him your commitment. Say, I am going to, in your own words, in your heart, or whisper it, just say, I am going to break up with that girl. I'm gonna do it, Jesus, tonight. I'm gonna break up with her. I'm gonna, I'm gonna separate myself from those friends. They're not good for me, Jesus. I, I hear you. I'm gonna do it. I'm quitting. I'm not a quitter, but I hear you saying to quit on this thing because I'm putting it before you. I'm letting it be an idol. Once you know what that thing is, talk to Jesus about what your action is gonna be, what is your response to that? The rich young ruler's response, the Bible said, verse 23, was to go away very sad because he was very rich. And maybe you're wrestling and you're saying, but I'm so good, so good at my instrument. I'm so good at the sports ball. I'm so good and so I, and it's become an idol, but I'm so good, so I'm gonna go away very sad. So I'm not going to lay it down. But if you're one who's saying, no, 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 no. I'm going to lay it down. Tell Jesus what you're laying down. We're not saying you can't play sports. You can't play video games. We're saying you can't put them before Jesus. And only you know. Only you know. God, right now, Jesus, right now, we look into your eyes and we see love. We see, just like what you said about the rich young ruler, that you looked at him, you saw genuine love for him. And Jesus, we know right now, you see us and you have genuine love for us. For us. And Lord, that's why we can have the confidence to hand you this idol in our life. If you're ready to do it, I want you to like cup your hands like this, like you've got that thing that you know is your idol. And I want you to just lift it up to Jesus as a sign of, here it is, Lord, here's my riches. Here's my Instagram likes, here's my whatever. Surrender it to you, Jesus. I surrender it to you. There's a group of you in this room that you're like, whoa. This just got intense. And you can put your hands down, you don't have to like them up like for water or anything okay so for some of you you're here tonight 
and you're not sure, <laughs> you're not sure if, you're, if you've ever said to Jesus, you've thought of him as like a good teacher or something like a good guy, but if you're not sure if you've said, Jesus, you're master, you're Lord and Savior, you're the number one to me, then before we go on, we wanna give you a chance to do that right now. So every head bowed, every eye closed, if at some point in your life you know that you prayed and made Jesus your Lord and Master and Savior, not just good, but God of your life, you know you've done it at some point for sure with your heart, lift up your hand. Everybody's eyes closed. You know you've done it. Guys, that's so awesome. You can put your hands down. Now, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you... You're being honest, that that's huge. And right here on the first night of O2, we can help you take care of that. If you've never said, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Master and Savior, I want you to take that role in my life from this day forward with everyone's head bowed. If you already raised your hand just a second ago, this is not about you, right? But you're doing that for the very first time. You're, you want Jesus to be your Lord and your Master. Lift up your hands. Lift up your hand. You're, you're asking for that right now. Asking for Jesus to be your Lord and Master. Yes, good. So proud of you guys. Let's, for the benefit of those raising their hand, let's pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, you are our Master. You're our Lord. You're our Savior. You're everything to us. And God, we are sorry for the mistakes of our past, the things that we've done wrong by accident or on purpose. Please forgive us. We give you our life from here forward and we choose to follow you. Not just to do the bare minimum for you, but to live a life of obedience connection with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now guys, if you just prayed that prayer that you just made like the biggest, most important decision you could ever make in your life, and then we're going to ask you to do something a little crazy, a little bold. Everybody's going to be looking this time. Would you raise up your hand so your friends can see you made that decision tonight? Would you do it? Good for you. So huge, guys. So proud of you. So proud of you guys. This is the beginning of an adventure. Now, here's what we're gonna do. We are not done. We are not done. We still have an entire hour, okay? So I want you to, I want you to press in just a little bit more. I talked a lot tonight. I talked a lot tonight about how you get your worth and your value by who you worship, right? So we're gonna press in for a while. And we're gonna worship the one true living God, okay? Not, not just sing some cute songs, resting our elbows on the stage. We're gonna, we're gonna like really pour out our love and our affection at Jesus, for Jesus in these moments. So Pastor Joe's gonna lead us. I want you to stay focused and press into that.
Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.